0: Peace to you. Welcome to the Naked Truth. Thank you for joining me. We're going to pick up where we left off in the Old Testament since it's a weekday. We're at the first book of Samuel and we've made it all the way up to chapter 9 now. If you want to read along with me, let's begin with verse 1. There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Bechareth, the son of Aphiah, a Benjamite, a mighty man of power. So it's basically these is, what they do in the Old Testament. It's like what they do in the New Testament with the this one begot that one begot that one begot that one, or this one's the son of this one, the son of that one, the son of that one. It's the same thing here, giving the lineage of who the main character it is that we're about to t- discuss. Benjamin is just one of the twelve tribes of or so-called twelve tribes of the Israelites, and this is one of the particular leaders that. Is about to become prominent. Verse two, and he had a choice and handsome son whose name was Saul. There was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. So apparently he's so good looking that the narrator here is making it very notable. And um, just in another sense, they say, uh, released in a recent study that the number one thing that women look for in men um, as far as attractiveness is their height. So the fact that they're mentioning that Saul this um, the person being taught about Saul is so tall, it's more than likely a reason that one of the reasons people saw him as so attractive. Um, but whatever the case, apparently he's just that hot. Verse 3, now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. And Kish said to his son Saul, please take one of the servants with you and arise, go and look for the donkeys. So um, Saul's father has sent him on a a mission to go find the missing donkeys. One other thing about Saul, this is not the same Saul mentioned later on. In the New Testament, um, that later changes his name to Paul. And sort of um, begins the whole Catholic religion, a a different religion in the Bible, very different than Judaism, very different than Christianity. It's actually closer to Judaism than it is Christianity, but it's not either one of those religions, though people conflate them as the same. They're not. Um, So this isn't the same Saul either. It's a different Saul. And he's being sent on a mission to go get the missing donkeys. Verse four, so he passed through the mountains of Ephraim and through the land of Shalisha, but they did not find them. Then they passed through the land of Shalem and they were not there. Then he passed through the land of the Benjamites, but they did not find them. So he's looking all over these different places and not finding the missing donkeys. And as always, if I mispronounce any of these, please forgive me. Verse five, when they had come to the land of Zub, Saul said to his servant who was with him, come, let us return, lest my father cease caring about the donkeys and become worried about us. So they've been gone so long looking for the donkeys, Saul has figured it's better to just go back home and at least let their daddy know he's okay so that he won't worry about the well-being of his son and, um, and you know, forget the donkeys, be worried about his son. So he figured let's go home. Six, and he said to him, look, now there is in this city a man of God and he's in." Honorable man, all that he says surely comes to pass. So let us go there. Perhaps he can show us the way that we should go. So, um, it sounds like what they're talking about is what's called a seer or a prophet, or um, in um, uh, they're calling it a man of God. Um, in previous verses uh, in the books we've read, a man of God can be sort of a divine being, like it's an angel. Or it can just be a human with sort of um, supernatural abilities to be in touch with the divine. Um, so it could be either one of those things. It sounds more like it's talking about someone who is uh, basically known as a prophet. But let's see, verse. Um, so the servant is saying we should go. They should go consult him um, before they head on back home because maybe he can help them find help them on their way. Verse 7, then Saul said to his servant, but look, if we go, what shall we bring the man? For the bread in our vessels is all gone, and there is no present to bring to the man of God. What do we have? So that lets us know it's something like, uh, it's not like an angel they're going to go see. It's something like a prophet or like you may think of a fortune teller or a palm reader, some spiritist, someone who's able to divine the future or able to see things or communicate with the supernatural. That's why there's uh, a token to be taken to the person. Um, So they usually say not for payment for the service, but for a contribution to the cause. Um, So he doesn't want to go empty handed. So he's asking his servant, what do they have on hand to donate? That's kind of a shady statement. That's like the um, rich person asking their maid, what do we have on hand and expecting the maid to come up, to come up with something out of their pockets when the rich person has all the resources, but maybe that's not how he means it. Let's see. Oh, and the fact that they ran out of bread means they have probably been traveling and searching for a while, not just for a couple hours, but for some time. Now uh, verse eight, and the servant answers Saul again and said, look, I have here at hand one fourth of a shekel of silver. I will give that to the man of God to tell us our way. So it is the shady way I thought the rich man with plenty of resources is asking the servant what he has to contribute to their search. Shady. I guess that's why the rich get richer. They are many times penny-pinching, chintzy, and stingy Um, instead of being generous with the resources they've been granted and instead looking to the poor to finance their way, just like in America, just like in America. Verse 9, formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he spoke thus, come, let us go to the seer. For he who is now called a prophet was formerly called a seer. So that's what I was saying previously. That's, that's if you think of the person as like a fortune teller, palm reader, a spiritist, a seer, a prophet, it's all basically the same thing. Someone who has divine uh, instinct or um, spiritual powers that they're in touch with the divine. And so that's what they're going to go see. Verse 10, then Saul said to his servant, well said, come let us go. So they went to the city where the man of God was. So Saul could have said, oh yeah, we'll use what you have, shekel, and I'll just pay you back when we get back home. No, he didn't say that at all. He said, oh cool, you got the money. <laughs> and just gone on about their business with the mission. So they went on to go see the man of God verse 11. And as they went up the hill to the city, they met some young women going out to draw water and said to them, is the seer here? So the um, seer per- clearly has a reputation for their ability to prophesy or see the future or whatever their spiritual gift is, because um, uh, Saul and his companion, his servant, are asking about the person that um, it seems by reputation, asking if the women who are, who they've encountered know if he's there or where he's at. Verse 11, as they went, oh, sorry, read that one, verse 12, and they answered them and said, yes, there he is just ahead of you. Hurry now for you for today. He came to this city because there is a sacrifice of the people today on the high place. So, the women knew who, they, who Saul and his uh, servant were talking about. They pointed out the seer, the prophet, to him and his servant and told them that they can catch him um, if they hurry because he's there in their city to make a sacrifice. And this high place, is one. this is one of the first mentionings that I can recall of it being called a high place um, in the Bible. And it's what's going to become... Um, sort of a sin to the people because the high place is um, it'd be just like church your mosque your synagogue your temple it's the place um, you go to worship and it's considered a high place because it's like physically set up high somewhere like up on the hill up or something like that uh, for the people to congregate to um, and it becomes known as a high place um, even without a building in some cases. Um, but it's known as the place to go up, to um, get as close, it seems, to what's in heaven as you can on earth. Um, but we're gonna, like I said, as we keep reading, God willing, we get to keep reading, you'll see that the high place becomes um, a not so good thing. Verse 13, as soon as you come into the city, you will surely find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. For the people will not eat until he comes, because he must bless the sacrifice. Afterward, those who are invited will eat. Now therefore, go up, for about this time you will find him. So the women are encouraging Saul and his servant to go ahead and hurry up and catch the prophet before he makes the offering. Um, and so that, um, so that it can be right in the nick of time, because the people are waiting to eat of the sacrifice. Um for the prophet to bless it. So uh, one other thing about that sounds a lot like what the congregation did when they wandered in the wilderness, where um, it would talk about a burnt offering or a burnt sacrifice, but um, it was given to the priests, the religious people to make the offering. And um, sometimes they would share that offering with the people to eat also. it Again, it reads like barbecue. Um, But not all the time. The people, generally speaking, in the wilderness years were eating manna, and it was the religious leaders who were eating meat. And people, eventually, a lot of them got sick of that. They got tired of that double standard and rebelled against it, and they got that instant karma. They got smacked down for it, um, according to the narrative, from on high for being sassy. And yet, like I said before, we read where people do much more egregious things and don't seem to get any response from above at all. um. But it is hard read, so let's keep reading. Verse 14. So they went up to the city. As they were coming into the city, there was Samuel coming out toward them on his way up to the high place. So um, Samuel is the seer, the prophet that they're apparently looking for. And um, he's on his way to the high place. And he's now uh, Saul and his Servant are encountering him. Excuse me. Now the Lord had verse 15. Now the Lord had told Samuel in his ear that the day before Saul came, saying, So now it's saying that Saul is getting the message directly from the Lord. And here Lord is being translated. Uh, From the name Jehovah, whereas God, even with the capital G earlier, is being translated from the word Elohim, um, just as a footnote. And um, here it's saying that he's getting a message audibly in his ear. Um, And again, that contradicts what the New Testament says about people having heard God or seen God. But it's how it reads. Let's keep reading what the message was that he got. Verse 16. Tomorrow about this time, I will send you a man from the land of benjamin and you shall anoint him commander over my people israel that he may save my people from the hand of the philistines for i've looked upon my people because their cry has come to me so um it seems that uh, the lord tunes in and the lord tunes out sometimes to what's going on with the people um And isn't constantly watching and seeing what's going on, at least according to this narrative. Now, like I always said, I don't believe it's God Almighty that's being described or um, in these different narratives throughout the Old Testament. But it is how I read. So I'm reading it as the Lord. Um, I believe, like Jesus says, that no one has seen God or heard God's voice. Jesus even says no one's ascended to heaven except the Son of Man, meaning Jesus um, up, at least up until the time of um, his ministry and mission. So even though uh, other accounts sort of allude to that in the Bible, that's not what Jesus says. And as Christians, like I always say, shouldn't we take Jesus's words as um, our, um, our um, standard? But believe what you want. We're just going to keep reading. So here it seems the Lord has looked on the affliction of the people. And is moved to compassion with them to uh, help them and give them what they asked for since they asked for a king. They chose a monarchy over a theocracy. They chose to be led by a singular person or person's family um, rather than being led by the religion any longer. Verse 17. So when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said to him, there he is, the man of whom I spoke to you. This one shall reign over my people so now Samuel was given uh, notice beforehand that the person would be showing up the next day and now that the person has showed up Saul, he's being told that's the one who um, he he, who he was told would come sounds a lot like um, John the Baptist being sent into the wilderness to baptize people and being told that the one to look for is the one that the spirit descends upon and um, like a dove and then he was baptizing people and eventually he encountered his cousin jesus and saw the spirit descend upon him and knew from then on or in that moment that that's the one who he was told would come um so it sounds similar to me verse 18 then saul drew near to samuel in the gate and said please tell me where is the seer's house so saul's been drawn to the person who was on the lookout for him and um, asking where to find the seer's house. So apparently when the women pointed, uh, out, Saul, uh, pointed out Samuel to Saul and his servant, they didn't um, point him out specifically, but just told him what to look for and where to look. Verse 19, Samuel answered Saul and said, I'm the seer, go up before me to the high place, for you shall eat with me today. And tomorrow I will let you go and will tell you all that is in your heart. So um, since Samuel already has the message, he uh, was already on the lookout, had noticed that um, someone will be coming with a special miss- mission uh, the next day. So he already I could see how that would affirm faith for both of them to see that, oh, the message I got turned out to be true uh, for Samuel and then for Saul. To, um For someone to already know what's on his mind before he even gets there, I can see how that would be faith affirming also. So um, he's invited him to the feast or uh, to the sacrifice and um told him he's got a message for him of whatever it is that's in his heart and on his mind. Verse 20, but as for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, do not be anxious about them for they've been found. And on whom is all the desire of Israel? Is it not on you and on all your father's house? So that's the prophetic part. That's the supernatural part that Samuel knew what mission Saul was on before he even asked him about it, about the donkeys and where to find them. And then not only that, the cherry on top is that he's letting him know that the whole nation, all of the congregation was asking for a king to rule over them. And had their heart set on it. And now it's being fulfilled in the fact that Saul is going to be that king that they were looking for. And But again, it's going to be a monarchy since it's not just Saul, it's his whole father's house. It's going to be just like how Britain has a king, a, a king now, but had the queen over them before, has a royal family. It's the same thing. Verse 21. And Saul answered and said, Am I not a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel? And my family, the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin, why then do you speak like this to me? So Saul, at least here, is starting out humble, even though he's so good looking, he's not haughty, he's humble, and he's saying, well, what's so special about me that you see so much in me that I'm the one that everyone's uh, seeking after? Verse 22, now Samuel took Saul and his servant and brought them into the hall and had them sit in the place of honor among those who were invited. There were about 30 persons. So, excuse me, that lets us know that, well, so Saul, Samuel was invited Saul to the feast, um, put him in the place of honor with all of the crowd there. And it says 30 persons letting us know it's not just men, there are men and women, maybe even people in between like us. It's a large crowd of people that he set in the, Uh, before verse 23 and samuel said to the cook bring the portion which i gave you of which i said to you set it apart so samuel got the prophecy the day before that someone uh, with a special cause would be showing up the next day and acted accordingly by telling the cook to set something aside a special part for the occasion and for that person and now he's signifying to the cook to bring out that special portion Verse 24 so the cook took up the thigh with its upper part and set it before Saul and Samuel said here it is what was kept back what was kept back it was set apart for you eat for until this time it has been kept for you since I had said since I said I invited the people so Saul ate with Samuel that day so Samuel is letting Saul know that he received a prophecy about him and already prepared things for his arrival and that it's now now it's time to go ahead and fulfill the rest of the prophecy and go ahead and eat like a king, basically. Verse 25. Oh, and one last thing about the thigh, the upper thigh. I think that um, uh, harkens back to the whole... uh, narrative that we read previously, where one of the forefathers, Jacob, whose name was later changed to Israel, um, according to the narrative, had a wrestling match with God, a physical wrestling match with God, and not only that, was able to defeat God in the wrestling match, if you want to believe that that's even true or possible. It is how I read, so that's why we're reading it, and the way he defeated him, um, or the way God was able to get... The upper hand on the human being was to um, sort of cheat and cause a cramp or a shrink in Israel's Jacob slash Israel's thigh. And then he got weak in that moment was able to get free from the human being, according to the narrative, if you want to believe that. Um, but that is how I read. And I'm paraphrasing, but that is how I read that. Um, and so then after that, the people... Since then, all the descendants would um, not. They held the thigh as a special portion because that muscle in his leg shrank in the wrestling match. So again, believe what you want to believe. I'm just reading it to you as it reads. But that's probably also why the thigh is considered a special cut of meat, Um, and most likely it's also why the um, the religious elites would um, like the sons of Eli with seize on it because it is the special cut of meat and they felt entitled to it but that's just my own supposition i'm thinking that's what it is about the thigh that makes it so special but either way that's the piece of meat that was set aside for saul to uh, partake in for the feast. verse 25 when they had come down from the high place into the city samuel spoke with saul on top of the house so um now that the feast is over, at least the meal part of it, Samuel and Saul are speaking on the rooftop. And one other thing before we move on about Saul being so good looking, so handsome. Notice how it was, seemed to be so noteworthy at the beginning of this chapter. Um, as we keep reading, once Saul gets booted from that position, suddenly it's going to be, oh, that the Lord doesn't pay attention to things like looks and things like that. Then, well then why was it such a big deal and mentioned so um, notably here at this chapter but that's later on it just I just didn't want to let that slip by because just in case when we get to that point in the Bible when it does say that just so you'll remember that it was made a big deal of somewhat here in this chapter and then it's going to be sort of diminished later like that doesn't really matter to God so if, any, if nothing, it lets us know that there are narrators, most likely the scribes, throughout the Bible who put in their two cents to maybe make sense of things sometimes, like when things are in italics, but then maybe also to put their thumb on the scale to um, distort the meaning of things sometimes um, like we've also read you know, that Jesus even calls out in the Gospels. So just something to keep in mind. Um, See. verse oh so one last thing about verse 25 In some versions of the bible and i'm reading from the blue letter bible.org website um it has a footnote saying following the Mace Masoretic text and targum um septuagint omits he spoke with saul on the top of the house septuagint and vulgate add And he prepared a bed for Saul on the top of the house and he slept. So they're saying in some versions of the scriptures that it reads differently, that it leaves out the part about them eating on the top or speaking on the top of the house. And instead, some versions of the scripture will say that um, Saul prepared a place for, I'm sorry, Samuel prepared a place for Saul um, to um, sleep on the top of the house and that that's what he did. Um, Verse 26, they arose early and it was about the dawning of the day that Samuel called to Saul on the top of the house saying, get up that I may send you on your way. And Saul arose and both of them went outside, he and Samuel. So now um, they're both on the housetop it seems uh, the next day, the next morning and Saul is being sent on his way by Samuel the seer. Verse 27, as they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, tell the servant to go on ahead of us. And he went on, but you stand here a while that I may announce to you the word of God. So um, Samuel's telling Saul to send the servant ahead on the mission um, to head back home. But before um, Saul joins him, he has a special, special message just for him. So to Terry, just a little bit, wait just a moment so that he can give the message to him alone without the servant being there also. Um, and that was the last verse in this chapter. So that's where we'll end this reading. As always, thank you for joining me for The Naked Truth. And as always, I hope it's a blessing for you and that you'll join me again. I love you and I'll see you next time. Peace be with you.